0: ago, we started a series called Breath of Life, all about worship. As a former worship pastor, I realized we'd been launched five years, and I have yet to preach a sermon series on worship. And I was like, that's kind of bad. That's kind of bad. And so uh, we're, 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 we launched this a few weeks ago, and we got a couple more weeks in this series. Um, years ago, um, before we, we planted this church, um, actually, from when I was in college, I was traveling doing worship. I traveled with a group, and and we did worship, and and we travel with a pretty large team, and, and we would arrive at these churches to do these worship events, and we'd usually get, like, a host home. Is anybody familiar with what a host home is, right? It'd be like, you guys here, if we brought in, like, a worship, you guys would sign up, and you would take some families home. So we would do that, and most of the time, it went pretty well. Um, like, a family would take us out to, like, a nice dinner, and we were college students, so we didn't know what that was. Like, the cafeteria was our nice dinner. Um, and so they, they would take us out to dinner, or they'd take us home, and they would— um, Um, you know, make us something nice. So most, I've got some awesome, but also some crazy stories. Like there was this one guy in the mountains of Kentucky who had like a, a, a straight up army vehicle like the kind that can knock trees over just by running into he's like you guys want to do something fun and so we jumped on the back of his like army vehicle and we were just like knocking down trees like one after the next and then he's like you guys want to do something else fun and we went over and he had a whole farm of fainting goats are you familiar with fainting goats they're amazing (laughs) They're so amazing, like, you, they, they scare easily, and, like, they pretend like they're dead, so you, you go, boo, and they go, and they just fall, and it's hilarious. Like, literally, parents take your kids to a fainting goat farm, and there's hours of fun out there, it just, and it's still funny. Some of you, like, need to save YouTube looking up later, but look it up. It's so funny. Uh, there was this one time that was by far the craziest, and not just crazy, but the creepiest experience Of my life, okay? So we went to this house, I think it was in Florida somewhere, and I don't remember. And like I said, usually they'll take us out to dinner or make us dinner when we get to their house. So I was rooming with my buddy Darian, and Darian was the perfect, perfect roommate for this night because he is just very dramatic anyway, and so what was going to go down this night would just be so memorable because of of his reactions to everything. So we go into these people's house, there's no offer of food or drink or anything like that. They lead us to uh, their guest bedroom. They open the door for us and they, um, they say, hope you have a good night. And then they close the door. Like, and and that, so that was the first awkward thing. Usually we sit at the dining room table, we talk for an hour or so and everybody goes to bed, right? That's best case scenario. So that's not what happened. They just walked us in the room and said, good night. So we looked at each other like, it was like nine o'clock and we're college students and we're like now trapped in their room And it smells old. It's not just decorated old. It smells old. And like it feels like no one has stayed in this room in a very long time. There's dust on the sheets. You know, it's weird. And and if that wasn't bad enough already between the awkwardness going on, we look around the room and there are dolls. Like baby dolls. Like not just like cute little baby dolls like my little daughter carries around. No, like those creepy dolls. You know, the one I'm talking about. And the room is filled with it. And it's got like the little fringy things on the bedspread. You guys know which one I'm talking about? Like, and then at the bottom. And so there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with dolls, but all of it together was a lot for this 19 year old kid. And so it was as if, and my buddy Darian is like flipping out, like he, he's just so dramatic. And so he's, he can't handle it right now. And so we did what 19 year old kids do? We snooped around because it's nine o'clock and we're trapped in a room. So we snooped around the room. And so eventually we found ourselves snooping into their walk-in closet. And what we saw in the walk-in closet, you cannot unsee what we saw in there. <laughs> we walk into this room and it's big enough for three or four people to be in there. And there are, is wire shelving from floor to ceiling in the entire closet. It's insane. You know the wire shelving I'm talking about? All over and there's mannequin heads on every single shelf in the whole room. Like this is out of like out of Saw or some crazy horror movie and they all have different wigs on. All different wigs just like constantly like from the floor to the ceiling and everything on top of each other was so Creepy, like we just laid in bed for a couple of hours, like laughing about it, slash so weirded out by this terrible host home experience. So we started this journey a few weeks back in talking about worship, and that. God breathed his breath in, uh, into our lungs. Um, in the spirit of God, the ruach of God, the breath of God, the pneuma, which is the Greek word, the breath of God fills our lungs just like it filled the first humans to give them life. And it's the same breath of God that keeps us alive today. And it's the same breath that raised Jesus from the dead. And the scriptures tell us let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So what we've been saying is that all of us, whether we want to or not, are worshipers. It's just a matter of whether, what kind of worshiper you are and what you choose to worship. You're a worshiper because you have breath in your lungs, and that's why we've been created. I think another way to look, that, look at that is to realize that we are a host of the presence of God. If you're a son and daughter of God, you're a host of the presence of God. Paul said in the New Testament, your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That, that within our being, our, our, our bodies are a, a place of worship. It's just a matter of what we worship. And so I want to talk about this idea of be, becoming a host um, we, we've tried to become really good hosts around here. When you arrive, we want to make you feel welcome. If you come over to my house, you realize when um, you come over, like, I, I really, I'm hospitable. I want to, like, get a candle going, you know. Let's make an appetizer tonight. Let's switch things up, you know. I want to I wanna host you uh, well, um, but I want you to know that you're a host, too, to the breath of God, the presence of God. It's just a matter of what kind of host are you. Are you a distant host? Are you a? Are you just like close the door kind of host? Are you welcoming the presence of God in your life on a daily basis? And so we're going to look at a story here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going to kind of navigate ourselves through the whole chapter. And I think what you'll find um, in here is that David has a lot to say. If we could just kind of imagine ourselves Pulling up to the table, sitting down for a cup of coffee after this took place with David, King, David. These are some things he would share to us about hosting the presence of God, because he had this great honor. You see, there was this thing that, um, that God called the people of Israel to create called an ark. the Ark of the Covenant. Has it, how many of you guys have heard of the Ark of the Covenant? Is this a familiar term? right? Later Raiders of the Lost. Ark, isn't that right? The Ark of the, the Covenant. And really, Ark means like box. That's what it means, box. And so God gave them specific instructions about what this Ark was to look this Ark of the Covenant. It was to be solid gold inside and out. It was going to be about four feet long, three foot nine long, about two and a, and a few inches wide, and about two and a few inches tall. So you can just kind of imagine the size of it. Now, four feet, that's probably yay big you know, two feet tall, somewhere in there, about that wide. And it was covered in gold, and it had two cherubim, two little angels on the top. And inside the ark, God said, put the tablets of stone, the law. Remember, like Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, and the the law is written on the stone. He said, put those in there, because I don't want you to forget my law that's been written. And then I think a lot of times we see the thou shalt, but Within the Ten Commandments is this, it's to love God and to love one another. So when asked, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus said, love God. And he was really, it it was a fulfillment of the law that God had given. So those tablets of stone were in there. There was also pieces of manna, um, which were like little wafers, like really thin wafers that God had miraculously provided. And so a couple of those were left over and God said, put those in in the Ark of the Covenant, because I don't want you to forget that I provided for you in the wilderness. And then thirdly, he gave them, uh, he asked them to put Aaron's rod. So this was the rod that parted the Red Sea. This is the rod that turned uh, from a rod or a staff into a snake and back in. He said, put that in there. And there was one time in in which um, God really showed that he had had his hand on Aaron's life, Moses' brother's life, and so it budded it flowered. And when none of the other ones flowered, showing God's hand on his people and on Aaron and uh, the Levites. And so he said, put that in there. So this is the ark that they're carrying. And God is omnipresent, but but God has told the people that his, his presence dwells here, that this had a very special symbolic reference to the very presence of God. He was omnipresent, but this was especially symbolic. And so we're going to look at that about hosting this because I could kind of give you a long story about how the ark had been stolen and moved from this group to this group. But right now, here's what we need to know. David is 37 years old. He's He's been their leader, king of Israel, their second king for seven and about half a year, seven and a half years. And now he gets the ark back from the Philistines And he said, we're going back to Jerusalem, and it's now called the city of David, and we're going to take the ark there, and it's going to be where it belongs. So I want to pick up in the text, and let's pull up to the table and see what what lessons David might have for us about hosting the presence of God. Can you imagine this just for a second? Like, Like carrying the ark, it feels like it's kind of a big deal. The presence of God, and it's the same that we've got in our life. So let's read, beginning with verse 1 through verse 4 to start with. Uh, David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the little angels on top that are on the ark. And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, uh, which was on the hill, Uzzah, and Ahi- I just want to call him Ohio, even though it's Aheo or something. I don't know. Sons of Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Aheo um, was walking in front of it. I think there's a number of things that that um, David would share here, and I, and I want to move into these. One he would share with us that God's presence is carried on the hearts of his chosen people. Did, did you pick up on this, that the, it was riding on a cart? And if you, you kind of scroll back and, and do, do a little bit of research, what you'll realize is that God never told them to put it on a cart. He had given them very specific instructions about who was to carry this and how they were to carry it. And God has given us instructions too. And, and most of the time, I think we do the same thing that the Israelites did. We try to improve on God's plan, <laughs> you know, don't we? And we try to manipulate God's plan to make it easier on ourselves, to to travel this long way. God, the way God had, had asked them to do it, what he had asked them to do is that the Levites, the, the people from the line of Aaron, would carry this on their shoulders, kind of staffs along the box. You've probably seen like Cleopatra or a a picture like that where she's carried up and there's these rods across and it'd be carried on men's shoulders. And it's a small box. It wouldn't be that heavy. Those those tablets of stone would make it a little bit heavier, but it was to be carried on their shoulders, representative that I, I didn't want this just kind of floating along in a box. I wanted you to feel the weight of my presence. I wanted you to carry it, that his presence, God had eternally planned for it to be carried on our hearts not just to be housed in a building that that that'll be God was setting up something that we are the temple of the holy spirit and and we carry his presence on our hearts and we don't need to make any improvements on God's instructions we just need to be obedient and surrender to them i mean i think this happens all the time in church we we, we try to like new models and new methods, and there's nothing wrong with new models and new methods, but there's, there's no model for the presence of God. It's to be carried on our heart, and it's not about our cart. It's about obeying God's instructions and facilitating his presence. We see that they were going out ahead of the cart when really they should have been walking right along step with the presence of God. We'll get more to that here in a second. Listen to a couple of these quotes. Uh, this one commentator said, We want God's presence very much, don't we? But we like to hitch his presence to some of our new carts. We like to add him to our list of organizations to load him on top of the mechanics of a busy life and then drive. How much of our service is really energy of the flesh, I wonder. So often we put forth our hands, but not our hearts. How many times do we do that in worship and we're maybe lifting our, our hands, but are we, are, we, are we lifting our hearts? Is the presence of God carried on our hearts? John Wesley said, it's not the new things we need, but new fire. I think David would tell us, you got to know, you are a chosen people. God had chosen that the, these Levites, these, this tribe, this Levitical tribe from the line of Aaron, And I think a lot of times when we think of Levites, we think of just a certain family and that was true for a season, but David would actually submit all of his children to be Levites. And so it wasn't just a a matter of genealogical lineage, it was a matter of the rending of the heart and the surrender. And so I would just ask you this morning, are you surrendered to carry his presence? On a daily basis, are you surrendered to carry his presence? And it's an honor to carry his presence. We would want to carry his presence. Um, Let's keep reading. Read verse uh, 5 here. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. With all their might, with songs and harps and lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and... And symbols, when we think of hosting the presence of God, usually we think of something very reserved. Like, let's be very quiet. The presence of God is here. And, and there's a place for that. But, but they're celebrating like they are having a party. We got it back. And I think uh, there, there's a place for the somber thing. And we talked about this um, a couple weeks back. You can refer back on the podcast. But when we look at praise and worship, praise is, is so forgotten in it, that that there's a place for celebration. And I think David, if we were pulling up to the table, would say, celebrate the presence of God with all your strength. Like don't make excuses. I, I know I've been in a place before when we come in to worship, when we come in, this is a gathering to celebrate the presence of God. And, and we, that we carry it. And, and when we come, we celebrate, He enthrones himself, He makes Himself known in our midst. And we think celebration is great. Like, who doesn't like to go to a party? But we have trouble celebrating ourselves. And it's got to be something we celebrate in our own lives. We've got to celebrate the presence of God. Not just revere it, but celebrate it. Celebrate it. And with all our strength, I I think for many of us, we'd struggle, okay, well, what does that mean to celebrate the presence of God? Let me offer a few things. What does it mean to celebrate something or someone? Think about what would take place if you were going to host a party to celebrate someone. One, it would mean you slow down to acknowledge them. You you make plans to acknowledge and celebrate them. Uh, You set aside a separate time on your calendar to celebrate them. Is there time on your calendar in which is set aside to celebrate the presence of God? Not just to kind of go through religious motions, not just to work with your hands, but just to celebrate the presence of God. You would make sure that they are the center of attention. If you are hosting a party for, for someone to celebrate them, you want them to be the focus, not you. And so do we do that in our worship? Are we always the focus of our worship? Well, I'm tired today. Well, I'll, just, I'll just sit down and, and do my devotion tomorrow and spend time with God tomorrow. And we kind of put it off. And it's not the celebration. And I think we've got this, we, we've just got the wrong mindset, and that He delights in us, and we ought to delight in Him to go into a secret place and just celebrate His presence because He's there with us. But many times we let our physical condition, our exhaustion, get in the way. And they worshiped with all their might, they celebrated with all their might. And I think David would encourage us to do the same, to celebrate the presence of God, that we've been chosen, we've been blessed to carry it. Um, Continue reading verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah, which is a cool name, Uzzah, uh, reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act, therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. They go from celebrating to a dude just died on the side of it. And just that moment, it died. It, it cha- that changed quick. Anybody ever been at a party like that changed quickly? <laughs> like that turned quick. That's what took place here. They're celebrating the music going. A guy stumbles, he reaches out and he touches it to do what every single one of us would do if we were standing there. We would reach out and treat to carry and protect the ark of God from hitting the ground. He did what he thought was right in his own mind. And it's amazing, the immediate gut reactions will reveal what we believe in our hearts. I'm guessing something in the next week, or in the past week, or in the coming week, or in the past month or year, that was a gut reaction, impulse reaction, revealed something about what was actually in our heart. And, and this said, this split-second moment, this reaction, said something about what was in Uzzah's heart. Uzzah erred in thinking that it didn't matter who transported the, the ark. He was not of the Levitical line. He shouldn't have been carrying it in the first place. Uzzah erred in thinking it didn't matter how the ark was transported, that it would be, you know, if it was pushed on a cart or Um, whatever. Uh, Uzzah erred in thinking he knew all about the ark because it had been in his father's house for so long. There was a sense of familiarity and entitlement for Uzzah as he was, he felt so close. So on the other side of the celebration is the reverence of the presence of God. Sometimes you've been around the church for so long that now you're distant and you feel entitled to to certain things um, within the body of Christ. Uzzah erred in thinking that, he, uh, that God couldn't take care of the ark himself. He thought that God couldn't take care of himself. I mean, just think about that. He had to protect it. Uh, Uzzah erred in thinking that the ground of Nakon's threshing floor was less holy than his own hand. Those are things we wouldn't think about maybe at the, the first service, um, at first reaction, first reading. But I think what it reveals that a lot of us kind of find ourselves in this place. We feel like we've got to protect the presence of God. But what we've got to realize is that the presence of God is is protecting us, not the other way around. That we're called to to carry it and keep in step with the spirit and to keep in step with the presence of God. But we're not protecting it. It's protecting us. It's not a, a, a low view of God. It's a high view of God. It's not a high view of self Um, But a humble, reverent view of self. And so I would just, uh, actually, uh, I'll share a couple of quotes here uh, about good intentions. And I think this is what David would say to us today is that God delights in our obedience, not in our good intentions. God delights in our obedience, not our good intentions. And just think about this in your own life. When's the last time you had good intentions to be obedient, to be helpful? But it was just that. Never followed through. There was never obedience behind it. Here, here's some awesome quotes. Um, God, um, uh, God save us from the people who mean well. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, Samuel Johnson. Most of the evil in this world is done by people with good intentions, T.S. Eliot. 1 Samuel chapter 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. God is delighted in our obedience, not our good intentions. If you were helping someone move uh, and they said, hey, can you help me move this Saturday? Yeah, man, I'll be over there. And you had good inten- intentions to make it over there. But just Saturday morning came and it was just, you slept through your alarm and then you kind of made some excuses and you had good intentions. You meant it when you said it to them. But then when it came time, we, we didn't follow through on it. We, didn't, we weren't true to our word. We didn't walk in obedience to even our own, our own word there. Uh, may, maybe in another way, we intended to get our, our wife something for her birthday. We had good intentions. It was going to be this great thing, and then it didn't follow through, and we didn't make it happen. So she doesn't feel loved. The boxes didn't get moved. The good intentions didn't help anybody. And God delights in our obedience, and many times we constantly we make excuses when it comes to worshiping Him, when it comes to hosting His presence on a daily basis. Well, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow, and we've got good intentions, but God's not delighted in our good intentions. In fact, I think He might be disgusted with our good intentions. Even though He knows our heart, what is in our heart, what James said, is, will, will be revealed in our actions eventually. And I think that some of the best times I've had of growth in my life is when I look straight in the mirror to myself and say, you don't believe what you say you believe, and you just need to face that reality. And then it caused me to draw past that and to walk in obedience. Um, Galatians five twenty six says, to keep in step with his spirit, not ahead, not behind, just to keep in step with the next step of obedience. Um. Let's continue reading um, through verse uh, 12, I believe here. Um, he's killed him at this point. Uzzah's there, and David's looking at this, and he's furious. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and this, to this day, that place is called Perez-Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He's like, I can't. Bring this thing to my house now. (laughs) Like, this dude just died. I'm not taking it to my house. Um, Because I was the one leading this whole uh, train here. He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed to the city of David with rejoicing. I think that one's kind of funny. What takes place? Because he's like, no, there's no way this thing is going to my house. It can go to your house. <laughs> you take it. Let's make sure nobody dies here for a little bit. Uh, and, and then he sees, oh, Obed is so blessed now. Like he's been so blessed by this. And now he's like, all right, now I do want it. Like, I think we, we've seen that before in our own life where we're like, no. And then we see a blessing on someone else's life. And like, okay, maybe I will do it. Maybe I will take it. I think if David, we were sitting, uh, uh, pulled up to the table with David, I think he would share with us about hosting the presence of God that we don't want to miss out on hosting the presence, on his presence, because of our fear or ignorance. Amen. We, don't want to, we don't want to miss out because of our fear or ignorance. There's blessing that comes when we host his presence, right? It's not just an honor. There is blessing. Uh, there is power that comes with his presence, it's not just kind of a, a religious kind of thing to do to carry and to keep in step with his spirit. No, it's, it's, a, it's a blessing in our life. And we miss out on that because of fear so many times. If I just open myself up in this moment or we've got questions and we can't get past our questions, God, I don't understand why you would let that man die I don't understand this. God, he was doing what he thought was best and we let our fear and we let our ignorance get in the way of really the blessing that God wants to bring in our life because we are willing hosts of his presence. We're willing um, to, to, to set aside even um, our, 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 ign- our own ignorance, our own fears in order to encounter and experience his presence in a supernatural way. Uh, David couldn't get past it, though he couldn't understand why his good intentions weren't good enough. They weren't good enough. None of our good intentions are good enough. Our good behavior is not even enough. It's only by the grace and the work of Jesus that we have eternal life. There's a great adventure and great joy in celebrating the presence of God. And so eventually David kind of comes around and says, hey, let's uh, now that I've seen blessing on someone else's life. But this was also, Obed, it says he's a, he's a Gittite, but he was also from the Levitical line. This was the first step to bringing into his house. He, he was drawing closer. He, he didn't do full obedience yet, and so he missed out on some blessing, but he was taking a step closer. And I think for many of us in this room, that's where we're at. Like, like we don't know really what it means to kind of take the presence of God fully into the house or the city of David yet, but we need to take a step closer today. And that's what he did by bringing it into his house. He was drawing closer. He just needed some time to process it. Um, uh, Verse 13, um, we'll go through 17. Check this out. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, He sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David was wearing a linen ephod and he danced before the Lord with all his might while um, he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, uh, daughter of Saul, watched from a window and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. I think David, if he was pulling up to a table today, sharing the lessons out of this hard stuff in which he saw a friend die right before him, in which he missed out on some blessings, I think he'd pull up and say, we need to value his presence above everything else value his presence above everything else. It was not required of him after six steps for them to to sacrifice. This was an elaborate sacrifice that was not required. How many of us, we only sacrifice when it's required of us? We only really go out of our way when we're kind of forced into it six steps. I wonder what it would look like for us, like tomorrow morning, maybe when we walk out of here, six steps in the morning before I stop and I make a sacrifice to the Lord. Don't kill a cow unless you're a farmer and you do that sort of thing. Um, You don't have to do that, thank God. But what would that look like? What would the sacrifice be? I've heard it described before, that it's not sacrifice unless it costs us something. It's not sacrifice unless we feel it. And this is where we begin to make a transition and we realize that we're not our own provision. That it's his presence that's protecting us, not us protecting his presence. Uh, Last summer, we we love to take a good vacation in the summer. Um, uh, last year, we took a really awesome one. We we, we flew into Boston and, and spent time all through uh, Maine, a couple of weeks up in Maine with um, my wife, uh, Taryn, with her family. They, they all live up there, most of them. And so we just get to stay at different houses along the coast, and it's gorgeous, and it's just perfect time to be in Maine. If you've never visited in the summer, put it on your bucket list. It's amazing. Um, and so we, we stay with this um, one aunt and uncle that we're really close to. And they have a a nice little lake house and they have, they've completely renovated the whole thing. And so there's several bedrooms and so there's a bunch of family that comes and stay when we're there. And Bud and that they gave up their master suite downstairs to us. Like they didn't have to do that. They have a guest room that we could have stayed in. The bed is smaller. It's not as nice. There's a bathroom. It's smaller. But they willingly gave up their whole master suite, which is like their whole downstairs, like, you know, bottom floor basement, finished basement. And they gave it up for us. So they let us sleep in their bed. And it was amazing. It made our trip so awesome. And it just communicated so much to us that they valued us being there, that they loved us so much. They were willing to give up their own bed because we were there. I think David would tell us, be willing to sacrifice early, and often, on the front end of this and on the back end, they are sacrificing. And it means a lot. We communicate. And I, I love, a, here's a couple of scriptures here. Um, and David knows this about the presence of God. And so that's why they do this willingly. He understands. He wants to communicate this value, that he values God's presence above everything. After he, um, after his sin of adultery with Bathsheba, he wrote Psalm 51 And he said, cast me not away from your presence. Don't. Just whatever you do, God, just don't take your presence away from me. I value it above everything else. You can take everything I own. Just don't take your presence away from me. I love what Moses said in Exodus 33, 15. If your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. And I want to lead that way from um, uh, from a, a leader um, leading you a, a, as your um, pastor. I want to lead you. God, don't lead us anywhere where your presence is not there. Don't take your presence away. We value your presence above everything. We celebrate your presence above all. We see David dancing. There's uh, There's lots of conversation around this moment when David is dancing and really, David is a game changer as a worship leader. Like he, he changed the game, <laughs> he really did. Like they, they were used to very kind of sacrificial worship and, and and expressive, emotional worship. He was a musician, and so there's this emotional side to musicians. You guys got a musician friends? They're a little bit different, right? They're just a little bit different. They're, they're very emotionally connected. Artists are very emotionally connected to what they do. And and David was that. I think David, if we pulled up, he would say this to us. We need to worship God deeply from our emotions and expressively with our bodies. Worship God deeply from our emotions. I think many times we find ourselves in one or two places. I'm going to completely separate myself from emotions, completely detached. Like I'm I'm just not even, I'm just kind of shutting it off. I'm not going to deal with my anger. I'm not going to deal with my frustration. I'm not going to deal with my pain or my loss or whatever other emotions I'm going through. I'm just going to shut them out, detached completely from it so that I can sing this song and put on the face. Or we go to the other side and we're, we're completely driven by our emotions. Like I'm not doing it because I don't feel it. And the truth of the matter is that we should both, on both sides of it, it's not just completely detaching or or only living by our emotions, but it's worshiping from that place of emotions. One thing I love about David, and we see this in the Psalms, did you know 70% of the Psalms are complaining and lament? I wonder what, if we looked at our Psalms, I wonder how much of it, what's our percentage (laughs) but complaining. Um, he was talking emotionally where he was at. If you begin to read the beginning of the psalm, it's usually something of complaining. God, there's these people. They're driving me crazy. I wish you would just kill them. Something like that. Just honest expressing of emotions, and he gets to this moment where he says, but you, O Lord, and there's a transition in his spirit, and I think that's where, how we need to worship the Lord honestly and deeply from our emotions. Bring the anger, bring the frustration before him, bring our ignorance, bring our fear before him and allow him to purify it. Allow him to refine it in his presence. But bring it before him. David is worshiping expressively with his body. And we don't think expressiveness in our body is weird Anywhere else in the world except for in the church. Like we have no problem um, at the dancing, you know, the, the victory dance at the end zone. You know, we have no problem with that except for in the no fun league. I think they brought back the, right? They they brought back the end zone dance in the NFL, didn't they? Somebody help me out. I think they brought it back, yeah. So yeah, brought the fun back. We have no problem with that. Um, You know, jumping up to celebrate a a soccer goal here, a football goal, excuse me. Um, For World Cup, we have no problem celebrating in that way. But then when people get too expressive in worship and our bodies are are, are expressive, like it, it makes us uncomfortable sometimes. But David just dances, and he doesn't care who's watching, right? This isn't some um, country song. Isn't there a country song about that? Dance when nobody's watching or something. Um, it's not like nobody's watching, but it's expressing from our body, and it, and it means sometimes we, we just react naturally, physically. Like when we're driving in the car, and Taryn has to slam on the brakes or something if she's driving, what's the mom reaction? boom. I just saw a couple of women do it. Boom. That's just a natural reaction to what's taking place, right? Um, it's just a natural gut impulse reaction they're physically expressing. But I think sometimes in worship, it's not just the gut reaction to lift hands, to open our hearts to the Lord, and just by physically doing it. Sometimes It's doing the action to tell our emotions, to tell our pride, to tell our fear to bow down. It's in spite of our emotions, not a physical response to them. And so there's both ways that can work when we're hosting. His presence in our worship and David is dancing before the Lord deeply and emotionally and expressively. We'll finish out the text here and we'll close it out. Verse seventeen. Uh, they they brought the, just to kind of catch up there. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings uh, and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished, um, after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, the, um, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person. Now uh, And the whole crowd of the Israelites, men and women, and all the people went to their homes. And when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Um, I just lost my place. It's exciting. awesome. Uh, Disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would, David said to Michal, it was before the Lord. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone else from his house when he appointed me ruler over uh, the Lord's people. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Um, I think David would tell us finally to live your life to please God, not people. When we begin to make steps closer in hosting the presence of God, there's gonna be be an enemy of that who looks down on it. Sometimes it might be somebody really close to you, like my call. Maybe it's a coworker just thinks you're being too heavy-handed with the whole God stuff. But I love the abandon in David's life. And he says, it was before the Lord. This wasn't about the person in the back of the room and what they think of me. This wasn't about what the worship leader thinks of me. This wasn't about what my spouse thinks about me. This is, this is my worship before the Lord because he chose me. He chose me to carry his presence. He chose me to keep in step with his spirit and to walk before him. And I, I say this to our, our worship crew all the time, and I, I say it to you. What kind of worship would take place if you were the only person in the room today? What kind of worship would take place if you were the only one in the room Everything's stripped away, and it's just us. What do we have to offer? What kind of host would we be to the presence of God? He's here, he's everywhere, and he's and he's here. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What kind of host are you today? And it's just putting one foot in front of the other. Say, God, I want to host your presence today. I want to keep in step. I don't want to rush ahead. I don't want to try to do my own model here, God. I want to stop six steps into Monday morning and say, God, this is your presence. I'm not protecting your presence. Your presence is protecting me today. I want to stop, and I don't want to go another step without just surrendering myself to your will today. First Chronicles chapter 13 is another account of this exact story. So you can read it there. And David says something powerful here. It's time to bring back the ark of God because we neglected it during the reign of Saul. And I don't know where you're at in your life right now. In your walk with the Lord, I have no idea. God only knows that. Um, But I know for some of us, we've been neglecting. We've been neglecting the presence of God on a daily basis. And we've got good intentions, but they've fallen short. And God's not pleased with those, and He's longing for us. And we're missing out on the blessing of hosting His presence And so I just want to invite you to stand and we're going to pray here in just a moment. And I want you to find yourself maybe just with your eyes closed for the next few moments. Just preparing yourself to respond to the word of God, preparing yourself to respond to what God is speaking in your life today. Maybe God's going to set you free from some of that fear if you'll just bring those emotions to the table and not just separate yourself, just bring it. Just bring the real, bring the honest. Bring the the, the ignorance, the, the, the frustration from things not going your way. Just bring it to him in worship. And today, it's not about anybody else in this room. It's before the Lord. God, this morning, all across this room, we're, we're flawed. We see ourselves in this story. God, it just as well could have been me than Uzzah who reaches out thinking, God, that in my own hands are clean. But God, I've, I missed the mark too. God, I pray this morning that you would just reveal the deepest recesses of our hearts and draw us near. Draw us near to walk and keep in step with your presence to be willing hosts to celebrate your presence, who, who don't despise your presence, who don't despise the worship of the Lord, but love to encounter and host your presence, God, on a daily basis. God, help us to not go six steps into our day before we stop and say, God, this is about you, not about us. God, for those in this room that don't have a relationship with you, I pray that right now is a marker in the sand that says, I don't want to neglect the blessing. I don't want to neglect the presence of God anymore because he's chosen me. He's chosen me to carry his presence. I don't want to pass it off for a card of religion. God, I want to carry it in relationship. God, I pray that you would draw us near this morning. Draw us near in Christ's name. Amen.